Welcome to the show that punches you in the face with information. Welcome to the Wolf's Den. In today's episode, we have Christine Atobri, clinical naturopath, and of course, yes, my wife. We are discussing all things women's health, and to join us on the line, we have the Wolfpack crew. So in this podcast, we're going to be talking everything from fitness bunnies to menopause, hormones, PMS, estrogen excess, and so much more. So let me give you a little bio about Christine. Christine Atobri is a clinical naturopath. Christine is sought after by top fitness influencers, fitness competitors, and other high-powered women, including CEOs to some of Australia's top brands. Her medical background combined with a deep understanding of biochemical pathways enables Christine to optimize her client's biochemistry for health and body composition changes. So with that, we've got some great questions from our Wolfpack at the end of this call, so stay tuned for that. As always, folks, this podcast is brought to you by Enterprise Fitness Melbourne's premier personal training studio. Make sure you go check that out. And also, if you are a personal trainer, check out Enterprise Fitness Academy. We have the internship program that is coming up. We're running a few of these this year, being 2021. The next one is in April. So make sure you check that out at enterprisefitnessacademy.com. Anyway, folks, hope you enjoy this podcast. I'm good. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. I know there's a lot of questions that the Wolfpackers have uh, and that we want to get straight into. Let's dive straight in and give us a bit of an overview. Can you tell us a little bit about how you practice? Because um, I know like with naturopaths, there's a lot of different types of naturopaths. Like, you know, the industry is quite uh, broad and people practice differently. So can you just tell us about how you practice? Yeah, sure. Um, so I started off with a um, nursing degree. Uh, worked in nursing for about seven years in a variety of different areas. Um, so I, I'd, I still use my background in medical knowledge and combined with my naturopathy, I use an um, integrative practice. So use um, diagnostic testing, blood tests. I have a good network of referrals that I send clients to when it's outside of my scope of practice or um, they need testing uh, that I can't do. Um, so that's very useful. And I guess the main uh, the main reason that we do this is to find underlying causes to why the client's experiencing their, their symptoms. So my goal for the client is to really get to the root cause of the issue and then fix that so they have a sustainable result. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you, would you say you practice differently to, say, other naturopaths in the industry? Uh, well, I mean, um, so functional medicine is definitely getting a lot more uh, common these days and is more acceptable and people are really jumping on um, wanting to use the functional testing a lot more. Um, and then you do also get your very old school naturopaths as well, which... Uh, probably prefer not to use testing um, and they they do a lot of guesswork. So I think it's probably, yeah, I'm probably a lot more science-driven than naturopaths, but I don't want to say that no other naturopaths practices like me either. Well, if you had kind of two spectrums, one being science, and just FYI, I am muting you as I talk because there is a little bit of feedback on your ends. Um, so, so 
if I get it, is there like a spectrum of, of really clinical naturopaths, which is what you are, versus the other type, which don't rely so much on testing? Um, and you say that's the, the old school? Yes, correct. Can, can you elaborate on that, what you mean by old school? Oh, old school. So I guess um, they... Well, just in this example, I think I, I mentioned something like this at the last internship. Um, I had a client that came to me and said that she that she had the testing done, so she did get some functional testing done on her microbiome, um, came back with leaky gut, low beneficial bacteria, and the treatment from her naturopath was to go and have a bath with her husband after he finished work to get all the the bacteria from him into her system. So, I mean, there's no research behind that. Uh, how is she going to measure the effectiveness of that? Um, and even if it works at all. So that's kind of just an example. She might use the testing, but then as far as the treatment goes, uh, it's not really founded or it has any clinical research behind it. So this is where I suppose in some regard, these kind of practices give naturopaths probably maybe at large who, who practice like you, which is much more clinical, scientific-based, uh, kind of, uh, I'm not going to say necessarily give a bad name, but um, miscommunicate what a naturopath who is based in research and clinical science, what they actually do. W would you agree with that? Absolutely, yes. Yeah. So what, what type of client do you see? Uh, I see a wide range of clients, but because I specialize um, in the fitness industry, I do get a lot of uh, clients that come to me with weight loss issues, but then with the weight loss issues come all the underlying factors that is causing them to not be able to lose weight. So uh, the main things I see is probably hormones, um, a lot of gut imbalances, and stress. Those would probably be my three main ones that I see. So you spoke before about lab testing and you use a, a variety of labs. I think one of the main kind of go-tos initially when you're working with a client is blood blood work. So what what why do you look at blood work? What does it tell you? Why do you look at this as kind of, and correct me if I'm wrong, but is this a first point of call? And if it is a first point of call, why? Well, so yeah, so I always start off with a comprehensive health history for my clients. So they come in or I see them online um, and I go through a range of questions that may not be specific to what they're presenting with, but it gives me a very full picture of what's happening with them. So I always start with getting um, medical history, health history, and then covering symptoms from head to toe on mental function, emotional, um, how their gut is, uh, what their cycle's like. Um, and there's, there's quite a lot of specificity in each of the, uh, the symptoms that, so each of the body symptoms that I ask as well. So, you know, stool, so gut function could be regularity of stool um, and then the scale of that on the Bristol chart. Uh, what's it like when they have their cycle? Um, so, yeah, it gets very specific, so I get a very broad picture of what's happening um, and specific picture as well. And then from there, I can definitely um, target what blood tests they'll need to have done. So I or get all the um, basic blood tests done, so your full blood count, iron, and then there's also specific ones that they need doing that I'll suggest for them based on what their um, history has presented with. 
So what 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 does blood work like? Is it kind of sounds like that's the initial starting point of testing. What does that enable you to do? What does it tell you about the client? So um, so that gives me a baseline for them. So it tells me what they initially need to start working on, and then I can also reassess them based on their progress from doing the blood work. So um, a comprehensive blood work panel will give me information on uh, so how are they if they have a B6, B12 deficiency, um, are they absorbing their foods, do they have a, a gut microbiome imbalance, how is their immune system functioning, hormones, uh, thyroid, and then how it all plays into each other as well. So um, our body functions holistically, um, each, system, each system affects each other, So, um, and you can see how that happens with your bloods as well. Mm. So it seems like you, you take an initial history, and then from the initial history, you get the blood work. The blood work kind of tells you a lot uh, about a, a lot of things. It's kind of an overview. Um, I know that once you said to me that I was eating too much protein based off my bloods. Um, I imagine there's a few things like, can you elaborate on those kind of nuanced things that you see on blood work? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um so you can see if someone's having too much protein and they're not actually absorbing it, so it might not be that needful for them. Um, if they've got inflammation going on, if they've got allergies, based off what the white blood cells are telling us, um, maybe they're taking B vitamins but they don't really need them or they're not absorbing them. Um, so different markers will be elevated uh, when that occurs. Um, Maybe someone's taking uh, testosterone and their liver functions up, so they need a little bit of support. Um, so it can definitely tell me what else needs supporting in the body as well. You, you can tell if someone's a vegan just by reading their bloods, right? Uh, well, if they're not supplementing appropriately or their diet is, is um, causing deficiencies, then yes. Yeah, there's patterns that you recognize. So then tell me, a lot of people, one of the things that, that I suppose I, I run into and we run into a bit um, is that you know people go out and get their blood work and they, you know, the doctor says, there's nothing wrong with you. You know, there's, there's nothing diagnosed, that it's all fine. But the way you look at bloods versus, can you talk about the way you look at bloods versus the way, you know, someone just getting a blood from their GP looks at bloods? Yeah, so... Um... So I look at them in optimal reference ranges. So I have a lot broader reference range um, that I use. So um, an acceptable thyroid uh, these days would be 0 0.5 to 5, whereas for me it's 1 to 2, um, and that's your TSH. Um, and I definitely want to see the free T4, free T3, plus the antibodies. Um, I got a really great uh, blood test result back the other day, which very clearly... Uh, showed to me why I like all those panels done. So this client came to me, um, she just couldn't lose any weight, desperately trying absolutely everything. Um, she had a really good uh, period where she lost 20 kilos initially and then all of a sudden her weight started to rebound and no matter what she tried, nothing was working. So she, she has a medical background and she really fought me on getting all those panels done because she had to pay out of pocket because Medicare doesn't cover them. But then once I got the results, her TSH, free T4 and free T3 were perfect, but then her antibodies were absolutely skyrocketed. So she had full-blown Hashimoto's 
And unless I did all those panels, I wouldn't have been able to see that at all. So there's all this um, misdiagnosis that is going on out in the community and people, you know, probably have chronic disease going on and they're going to their GP feeling horrible, but the GPs keep telling them nothing's coming back, but it's just because they're not getting all their panels tested. So it's a pretty sad story, I think. So it's almost a bit like, um, you know, we've got a car and we wanted to see if the car is, is filled with, you know, enough petrol except, you know, we're, we're kind of checking the radiator fluid to see if it's got enough petrol. Is, is that kind of akin to what's going on with these tests? Um, I guess Please. so. <laughs> I'm not really a car person, but yeah. Checking, checking the, wrong, the wrong measures. We're checking the wrong things to see. Uh, no, we're not checking the wrong Yeah, not... not not um, not being willing to do enough of the the diagnostic panels that need assessment. And um, I'm still trying to figure out why that is because especially with COVID, there's been so much more pushback than ever before. But I think it's a lack of resources um, from, from Medicare, from the government that are telling the GPs not to do this testing. That's That's all I can kind of take it back to. Right. So if I kind of summarize, you start with the initial health questionnaire, which is kind of very comprehensive. Then you go into looking at bloods from the bloods. That kind of gives you a very big picture. But also the way you look at bloods is in functional testing norms, not diagnostic norms, which is what your GPs. And you gave the example there of the thyroid. Um, you know, the, her uh, thyroid, her TSH was fine. It was in that range of 0 0.5 to 5, which is extremely broad. Your range is 1 to 2. But even then you asked for the other panels. All the other panels came back fine but she had the antibody panel super elevated, which then indicated a full-blown Hashimoto's. And this is kind of looking underneath the hood, so to speak, and, and, and really doing your due diligence. So I know there's other tests that you use, which I'm quite uh, interested in from genetic testing, food sensitivity testing, organic acid testing. Can you talk about, I know, I know, you know each, each one of those tests that I've just mentioned are probably full podcasts in and of themselves, but for the guys on the call, for the podcast listeners at Enterprise, um, can you give kind of an overview as to when you're going to use and just kind of a brief summary of maybe the most common tests that you would use in practice? Yeah, sure. So there's so much testing available to us now, which is absolutely great. Um, so again, it really depends on what has come back with the client's history um, and the assessment that I do. So for instance, um, the main ones that I see is gut. That's what I do a lot of gut testing with because it's very important to get their treatment right with what they present back with. Um, so if someone comes to me with uh, bloating, unable to lose weight, um, and irritable bowel. So the easiest way to find out what's going on with them is to do a, a microbiome test. So that's a stool test and it measures um, digestive function. So it will tell me if they've got, uh, the pancreas are working to stimulate digestive enzymes to break down their foods, if they've got enough gastric acid to be able to absorb things like B12, B6, magnesium, zinc. Um, it will tell me what the mucous membrane, what the integrity of the mucous membrane is. So that has a lot of uh, antibodies on it and that helps us to um, have a good defense around toxins and parasites. So if that's compromised, then they're more susceptible to getting bacteria. Um, it tests them against all the parasites. 
uh, pathogenic bacteria, as well as viruses, as well as candida and helicobacter. So it's very comprehensive. Um, so it will tell me if there's anything that we need to eliminate. And then if there is leaky gut there and if we have to do a repair um, and also if we need to replenish with beneficial bacteria as well. So I guess um, with uh, someone having a compromised gut, they always tend to have food intolerances or foods that are just not agreeing with them, uh, probably due to an increase in histamine response because they have that inflammation overload. Um, so it depends really on what the client is willing to spend, whether we do food testing as well um, or whether we do more of a food elimination diet too. Because all these functional tests, because they're not covered by Medicare, they can be very costly. Um, so I always try to work with the client on what is, uh, yeah, with what works for them as well. as So affordability um, and sustainability too. So, and trying to get them the best specific answers as possible. Um, so if they are willing to do a um, food sensitivity test, uh, then we go ahead and do that and that will come back depending on what grade of test it is, depends on how many foods that are tested. So I usually don't go for less than 90 foods just to give them a wide variety of um, you know, what they can have in their diet and that can test for coffee, different types of dairy, uh, protein, so beef, chicken, um, eggs, and then uh, vegetables, legumes, so a lot of the different food groups. Um, yeah, and that that gives us a lot of answers as well. So they'll have to abstain for those while we do their And then usually we start to do a slow inclusion after we um, after we finish getting rid of the bacteria, start on the gut healing process. And then we can do a slow inclusion of those foods again uh, because just because they're intolerant to them doesn't mean that they'll be allergic to them forever. It's not an allergy, it's an intolerance. So that histamine response should calm down once we start healing the gut. So what you're, so what you're touching on there is specifically food sensitivity tests combined with a stool test. That's how you kind of ascertain someone's gut function. Is, is that correct? Correct, yeah. And, and would you say that's your most common test? Did, did I miss that? That's, the, that's kind of the next point of call after bloods? Yeah, I'd say so, yes, for as far as gut goes, yeah. Yeah, and we'll just talk about two others um, that I suppose are quite interesting. I think that's the, the organic acid test uh, and genetic testing. I mean, genetic testing is kind of one of those things that it gets talked about a lot. I know those two are two separate tests. But, you know, I would just kind of touch on, you don't have to go super in-depth with those two, but when would you use organic acid tests? Do you use a genetic test in your practice and, and where do you see that? Yeah, so um, I'll use you as, as an example. So um, Mark was having very poor recovery with his training. Um, he'd come back home from training sometimes and just have to sit on the floor um, and just didn't feel very well even though he had a post-workout meal um, and sometimes even the carbohydrates he was having um, they just didn't really seem to be utilized or they weren't helping him in recovery um, is, is that correct you just felt pretty tired yeah there was a phase there where all the time post-training yeah Yeah, so um, so that's kind of typically what I use an organic acid test for is for energy systems, um, for sports and athletes. 
so poor recovery, constant fatigue, um, and it also measures neurotransmitters as well. So if someone has an underlying um, medical history of ADHD or depression, you can see what's going on with the serotonin and with their adrenaline as well. Um, if they have poor sleep, and it also gives you um, metabolites of if they have um, a dysbiosis there as well. So that's a good uh, way of assessing energy systems. Um, and if they have a dysbiosis and also environmental toxicity, it has a panel whether um, they're having troubles eliminating pollutants in their body. Right. Uh, so that's the organic acid test. Yeah. And the genetic test, yeah, so the genetic test um, is good because it helps you get very specific with supplementation in what your genetic makeup is actually lacking. Um, for someone, usually the genetic tests, um, clients want to do them that are already feeling really good, but they just want to know what their body needs to supplement with. Um, and also if they have maybe a family history of things like heart disease or dementia, so it's in their um, genome that they already have these genetic um, deficiencies, they want to know what supplements they can do to change their genetic makeup. Um, so that's very much more in line with um, increase in optimal health. So if they don't really have any specific health symptoms, but they want to know how they can support their, their health further. Awesome. Before we move on into some of the female-specific questions, what we'll do is our obliterary um, instant. We always do a photo midway through these conversations. So everyone, chuck their webcam on. We're we're live at Wolfpack Consulting Call. We've got students. We've got uh, Francois in Canada. We've got George in Sydney. Hwa's in Melbourne. Raquel's in Melbourne. Millie in Sydney. Gordon Melbourne. Nikki down in Melbourne as well. Guys, give us a flex. Let's get that photo. Let's get it on the gram. Three, two, one. Is Nikki joining us? And flex. Boom. All righty, folks. Make sure you check out our Instagram, Enterprise Fitness AU, and also check out my Instagram, Mark Atobri. We've got Christine Atobri. Yes, that is my lovely wife on the call today, talking all things naturopath, female health. We're going to get straight back into specific female questions, and then we're going to open up the lines to our Wolfpackers so they can ask their questions, which are always uh, super, super smart and on point. So the next question is, what's the biggest problem with female health slash, I know this is a broad question, what do you most commonly see when, when females come into the clinic and presenting? Most commonly seen is... Probably females stressing about their weight, um, can't get lean enough, um, even though they're trying to do everything right. That is probably most commonly what I see. Um, what 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 would you attribute that to? So I know that's what you've said. It's interesting. It's an interesting answer because on one hand, it's like, is this more of a problem of uh, is it actually a health problem or is it a perspective problem on their own health? Hmm. Um, yeah, that's very good. And again, it all comes back to what do they want and what their personal goals are, um, as well as their lifestyle, because 
to one, it can seem that they look absolutely perfect, but they're still, to the client that's come to me, they're still not reaching what they want for themselves. Um, and that's not really up to me to decide. It's uh, up to the client. Um, so underlying factors for that, um, again, depends on if they're a fitness model, um, a comp prep client, of course, they're always going to have very high-end goals. Um, and I definitely always state to them um, the healthy way or if you go a little bit more to the, you know, a little bit more higher end, then you could be compromising your health as well. So it is my duty of care to um, tell them that too. And it, I think it's very important. Um, but I always try to make sure that we're covering all aspects of their health. So um, especially fitness model clients, making sure their hormones are supported um, as well as their stress response is uh, very important. And their gut health as well, because um, a lot of times with them not having much diversity in their foods or placing their bodies under a lot of stress, that definitely targets the microbiome to be, to be more susceptible um, for picking up bacteria or um, compromising their gut integrity. Right. So basically, in summary, you're looking at where does the client want to be? And because you work with, I suppose, fairly uh, ambitious women who, who, you know, maybe already have a fairly good degree of health. Because one of my next questions was, you know, how do you work with fitness models? Um, so you're working with people who are already into their health and fitness and probably in many ways, um, you know, ahead health-wise, but they're still not where they want to be. So it's really about, and I hate to use this term, but I will, biohacking their biology so that they can achieve their goals and optimize rather than just kind of stay at that uh, lukewarm level. You, you really help people go to that, that you know, superhuman level. Um, yes, correct. Cool, cool. Um, so I think a lot of women hear about, um, let me just put this on, I think a lot of women hear about, you know, gut health, thyroid and hormones. It seems like these three things almost uh, are marketed to, to women uh, on the daily. You know, it's either your, your, your thyroid, it's either your gut health or it's your hormones as, as the reason for, you know, your lack of results. Um, I know, again, these three issues could be three separate podcasts, but, you know, how, how much truth is that, is that to those kind of marketing claims, I suppose? Or, or you know, is this, is this the three things that really affect women? Like what's been your experience in, in those areas? Well, um, I actually think that a lot of, um, like the umbrella of all of these things is actually your adrenal health because your hypothalamic pituitary axis governs your thyroid, governs your hormones, and then too much stimulation of it as well affects um, your gut because stress increases inflammatory pathways, increases histamine. So really, I think adrenal health is um, like supporting your adrenal health uh, as a baseline is definitely very important. Right. Uh, are you are you unique in I suppose putting that hypothesis forward, or is that a generally um, kind of like because it's kind of one of the, the first times really that this gets touched on? It's like actually the adrenal health is is maybe more of a primary concern than these other things. Is this something that's that's not known in the industry, or is this quite common? Um, I think 
I think if you know how the body functions um, and what actually keeps our body in homeostasis and regulates our feedback mechanisms, um, if you have a good understanding of the body, then I think you'd support that um, theory as well. Right. How, how do you work with fitness models? How do I work with fitness models? So again, um, very much the same how I work with all my clients. So I start with... Um, uh, so let me, let, me, let me rephrase the question. Um, how, how, how do you, when I say how do you work with fitness models, um, how, do, how do you work with them to achieve their goals? Like I know that a lot of people listen to this show and a lot of the guys on the call right now, they work with high level clients. How do you work with them to optimize, um, you know, the physique, which ultimately I think most of them are coming to you for? Um, so I work with them on finding the missing link as to why they're not able to achieve that extra 10 or 20 percent. Um, so and that that is very different for everybody. So um and sometimes they come to me with actually a lot of contributing courses. So it could be their gut health. They'll have, you know, a parasite. They'll have candida. Uh, and they'll have a hormone imbalance. And they might have uh, a thyroid or a Hashimoto's that's surfacing at the same time. Um, and the tricky part about that is, is someone that comes to me like that, well, it is going to take a little bit of a long time to get them to where they're going to want to go. Um, and first of all, you always start with the gut. So when treating anyone, it comes back to gut because that's the absorption and assimilation pathway for what your body's going to be fed. And they'll be able to absorb and use uh, the treatment that you're giving them uh, when their gut's working well. Too. And our gut also affects um, how we digest and eliminate our toxins, uh, metabolize our hormones. Uh, so it's very important to um, make sure that's all functioning correctly. So just I just wanted to recap on something. So previously you said it's all you're kind of one of your biggest focuses to start someone's plan is adrenal health, but now you're saying that the that you actually gut you always start at gut. Can can you explain how how like they kind of seem like is it adrenal or is it gut that you start with? Yeah, good question. So I do start with the gut first, but in fixing the gut, it um, in fixing the gut, it actually helps to fix the the adrenals as well at the same time. So um, there's so again, it depends on what's happening with the gut. So if there's a parasite there, there's um, the Chinese medicine theory that if you give them adaptogenics, so adrenal, their adrenal herbs that um, help to fix your feedback mechanism for how cortisol is produced. Um, so they say if you give them adaptogenics before you get rid of the parasite, then the parasite or whatever is living in your gut is going to help them to adapt to your own microbiome. So you have to get rid of what is causing harm to the body first. And then that will help the stress response go down. Right. So, so that, there are, there, I suppose, because the, the, there are some cases where, from, from what I understand you're saying, is treatment plans, if there is an underlying issue with the gut, you always start with the gut. However, from a broad perspective of how to optimize someone's health, uh, adrenal, getting someone's adrenal function to optimize is kind of an easier path. If if there's if there's 
uh, under the understanding there's nothing underlying in the gut. Is that a fair statement? Uh, yeah, right. yes. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I think it's time to open up the lines to the Wolfpackers. Uh, folks, do not be shy. Christine is here. She's been waiting to, to drop knowledge bombs on all y'all. So, I mean, I'm happy to start at the top. Francois, if you've got questions, just chuck them in, in, the, in the chat. I'm going to get you on the line. Let's go to Francois. Francois. Hey, Christine. Hey, Mark. Um, got a couple of questions about uh, PMS. Obviously, not for me, so asking for somebody else. Uh, about uh, bloating during PMS and also mood swings. What would you recommend to help with those things? So the, um, so the bloating actually comes from an increase in prostaglandin around that time of the month, just from a fluctuation in hormones. Um, and prostaglandins increase the inflammatory pathway in the body. So that's why they get a lot of this bloating. Um, and always the best way to support that is by supporting the liver. So making sure they have regular stools, they're not constipated, um, adding enough fiber to their diet, making sure they're having greens, uh, seeds and then to support um, elimination using products like calcium deglucurate, DIM, um, MTHF if they need that support, B vitamins and magnesium. So um, baseline magnesium would be 600 milligrams so you can definitely increase that um, probably by 25% um, but as long as they're not getting diarrhea from the increase in magnesium. Does that answer your question? Yeah, I think so. Um, would uh, glycine help as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So glycine will help um, the phases of the liver. Um, so definitely help with that phase too. So then you would recommend using those supplements, let's say, just during the PMS? I would recommend using them until they stop having those symptoms leading up their cycle so you should start to see a difference in about two months time um, I always say probably three months for a treatment protocol like that and then get them to trial going off it and see how they go okay and what about mood swings mood swings well that should stabilize as their PMS stabilizes as well okay so take care yeah. of the bloating we'll take care of the mood swings eventually yeah easy Thank you. Next question. You said you had a couple of points. Is there a couple there that you had? Yeah, bloating and mood swings. She covered that in one answer. <laughs> <laughs> covered. Covered. Easy. All right. Thanks, friends, for joining us. Uh, all right. Hua, if you want to go ahead, I'll unmute you. Hi, Christine. Um, I've got just a, a couple. Um, the first one is with my clients, if they have the um, contraceptive rod, um, when they put it in and when they take it out, what do I expect from them, like energy-wise or, or weights? Is there anything that, that I should be looking out for? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I think so they'll start to get a normal cycle back. Um, mm -hmm. and then, When they put it or out, when take it out. Well, when they take it out. So usually yeah. when they put it in, they lose their cycle, except they might get a bit of breakthrough bleeding. Um, and it affects everyone differently. So when they take it out, I guess it's probably helping, you'd need to help them start to metabolize the artificial hormones that they've had because 
they've been they haven't had um, a normal period or producing their own natural hormones because that's been blocked by the synthetic progesterone that they're um, secreting through the contraception. Um, so probably liver support. So stabilizing hormones always comes down to liver support and supporting um, how your body is metabolizing your hormones and the fluctuations that the body goes through. Um, so again, making sure they go to the toilet and then using um, support agents to help metabolize hormones and rebalance again. Um, and then there is things, so if they, like if they don't get the cycle back after contraception, and you see that a lot through uh, girls taking the oral contraceptive, so it takes them a while to get their cycle back again, you can use um, herbs like chase tree, uh, or it's also called Vitex, and that's a natural form of progesterone. And it also helps to um, support the hypothalamic pituitary axis as well, which helps to secrete the progesterone uh, production. Um, okay, thank you. And the other question I had was um, so another client who's vegan and has lost her period. Obviously, her body's quite unhealthy. She's getting back to kind of regular eating because she used to have a lot of eating disorders. But anything that I could do to help her kind of just get her period back, really? Um, so making sure she has enough uh, calories in her diet. Yes. Um, and with her, I'd probably be starting with making sure she has all the um, baseline nutrients, so magnesium, B vitamins. So really um, feeding her body with nutritious foods as well as supplements, um, vitamin D, and then uh, probably, I mean, it really depends why she's not getting her cycle. So she's not getting a cycle because she was vegan or was she under eating or? Under eating, um, under eating, unnourished. Mm -hmm. So um, that would probably be more adrenal support then. So giving her adaptogenic herbs as well as B vitamins um, and then chase tree can help bring back the cycle too. Yep, cool, thank you. You're very welcome. All right, any other questions for you? That, that covers all yours. No, I'm good. Thank you. You're good. All right, awesome. All righty. Uh, Nikki, Millie, Raquel, George, do you have any questions? George looks like he's frozen on me. Uh, I'm not sure if he's frozen. Millie, have you got any questions? Yes, she's giving me a, a head nod, so let's get her on the line. Uh, just go, yep, there we are. Shoot. Hello. Hello, Millie. Welcome to the call. What's your question? You for can Christine hear me. Today? <laughs> uh, okay, Christine, I have a few, and my questions are very long-winded, so I'll try and keep them specific. Um, the first one would be uh, how to tell if my client's hormones are affecting their weight loss. Um, so I have a few clients who are a bit up and down with their diet, um, but I've been training two girls for quite some time now and their weight has stayed um, like within a fluctuation of one to two kilos. So are there any indicators that I can look for that it's a hormone issue? So um, I guess you have to ask the question then, what are their cycles like? Um, do they have regular 28 to 30 day cycles? Um, do they get any spotting between their cycles? Uh, do they have a lot of PMS? Um, okay. If they have a lot of cravings, that's 
that making them not compliant to their diet, then okay. making sure they are having enough carbohydrates um, so they don't get those cravings and they're not lacking in calories. And then sometimes even bumping up the carbohydrates towards their cycle. So they're not eating foods that are too outside of their food plan. Um, and then when they do get their cycle, I guess, you know, what is it like? Do they get migraines? Is it really heavy bleeding? Is there intense pain? Um, so you'll have to really quiz them about their cycle to be able to assess their hormones. Um, that is awesome. One of the clients, um, she's 34, she's had a hysterectomy already because um, she had horrible endometriosis and she has PCOS. Um, I've recommended that she sees um, a dietitian and she's going to see a naturopath. Um, but she's obviously hard to figure out with hormones because she doesn't get that regular cycle. She's on what? Sorry. Sorry, I keep getting muted. I'm not. Yeah, I'm sorry. Not I, I, mute, button, so I'm like, I mute you guys just so the recording is nice and because there's a, there's a bit of feedback if I don't mute the um. So it's like basically one person speaking at a time just to make sure like the audio. When we play it back, it's it's nice and crisp. So right. after you finish asking your question, if you just mute yourself or when you want to talk, go ahead and unmute yourself. But yeah, go go shoot. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. Yeah. So she's been training with me for ages. So she's had the hysterectomy. She gets a really swollen belly, um, and I can sort of see with her training pattern. She still has a week where she's quite weak with her lift. So I think she's still getting affected by like the cycle. Um, but her weight just like will not bud. So what do you think about that? Has she had a partial hysterectomy or a full hysterectomy? Like does she uh, still have a hysterectomy? Okay. So um, so I guess doing some bloods and seeing what's going on with her hormones. Um, so her estrogen, progesterone, um, her testosterone as well. Uh, so you just have to see the underlying factors. It's a very, I'd probably say definitely yes, that her hormones are influencing her weight because usually when you have a full hysterectomy, you'd be menopausal. Does that answer yeah. your question? Yeah, that makes a lot, that makes a lot of sense. Um, perfect, let me just have a look at my notes. Um, yeah, that was pretty much everything. Cool. Okay. Awesome. Thanks yeah, for joining the call. Great questions, Millie. Uh, Raquel, I, I see that you're ready to um, shoot and fire some questions. Hello. Hello. Hi, Raquel. How are you going? Good. How are you? I'm great. I'm, I'm so good. It's so good to see you. Let's get into the questions. Um, so I've had a couple clients ask me about colonics and like getting the rectum with water and stuff like that. Can you please talk to me about that and your opinion on it? Yeah, sure. So I actually had a client this morning. Um, she went and got a colonic cause she was feeling super uncomfortable. Um, and she doesn't usually get constipated, but then for seven days, all of a sudden she got constipated. So she just had to go and do it and she was feeling a lot of relief and so much better. So great, in that case it's good. But if you have someone that's experiencing um, chronic constipation and the only relief that they're getting is from having a colonic, then I don't support that because you're not fixing the underlying issue. Um, 
And again, once you, when you have that total cleanup as well, you are getting rid of the feces as well as the beneficial bacteria. Um, and then they do give you um, probiotics and things to um, inoculate you again, um, but it's still not as good as your own microbiome. So I don't support it as something ongoing, uh, but if someone wanted to do it every now and then, then sure. That's fine. But it's always about fixing the underlying cause because, like, what's what's causing them that, that they need to do that? Like, why do they feel yes. they have to go to something so extreme? That's what, that's what I was thinking because I know one of my clients has come to see you and I can't wait for her blood test to come through so you can help because she's got one and I'm worried that it's just going to keep happening it's going to be one of those things where she keeps wanting to go back and I'm just like oh I don't in my back of my mind I'm thinking the same as you like it's not healthy to always have that happening yeah. um okay well hopefully that helps a little bit um PCOS I had a question about PCOS I don't know where I was going with that though um wait Oh, yes. So sometimes I have clients who have PCOS. They don't know the type of PCOS they have. They'll know if they've got the androgen dominant one because they'll have their facial hair, but they won't know if they've got the insulin resistant one or what's the other one, the stress dominant one. That's another one too. Um, or like the inflammation dominant, the stress dominant, or insulin. Obviously, if they're overweight, you can kind of assume that it might be insulin resistance. But if they're the person that they see in the specialist is not doesn't even tell them what they have how do they get tested or even if they go and i ask them can you go ask your doctor what type of pcos you have they won't even tell them they don't even know what do you yeah do? <laughs> sometimes they don't know um so <laughs> to get the full workup uh for pcos you need to get so your hormones tested, so your FSH, LH, um, and then all your androgenic hormones as well, so growth hormone, androgens, testosterone. Um, and then you go to get your ultrasound to see if you have extra follicles on your ovaries as well. So some people can have the syndrome where they have um, the hormone imbalance in their bloods, but then they only have a few extra follicles, or you can have someone that has all the extra follicles, but the bloods are actually okay. Um, so these days, I think they they only diagnose, they, they can put a diagnosis if they have just the follicles as well. Um, and that, that is mainly caused from androgen and insulin. Okay. Androgen and insulin. Um, and always with PCOS, you're working on um, inflammation and adrenals. And then I guess things that are affected by that is always your, your glucose uptake, um, insulin. So the treatment's going to be the same regardless. Yeah, okay. Okay. That makes me a bit more confident then. Um, and period pain and gut issues. So I've kind of... I don't know if this is a thing, but a lot of people who have gut issues also have very like, crazy period pain. Um, by healing someone's gut, do you also think that will heal their period symptoms? By healing what, sorry? 
by healing some of, or like, you know, reducing some of their gut issues, will that mm -hmm. also reduce some of the period symptoms? Yeah, because your gut, um, so your digestive system, which is your gut, um, the liver is involved with that as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so all our hormones have uh, CYP450 enzymes on them, which is metabolized by your liver, um, and B-glucuronidase, which is your phase two pathway in the liver. Um, that helps to excrete a lot of the estrogens. So that's how, why our liver is so involved with metabolizing our hormones because they're broken down and metabolized by liver pathways. Um, and when we have a, uh, so when we do get our period about a week before that, I was talking to Frank, um, he, or Francois, sorry, he is asked the same question about PMS and his client gets a lot of pain. We get this increase in prostaglandin from the increase in progesterone and prostaglandins is a part of the inflammatory pathway. So that's why as a woman, um, even if you don't have an increase of estrogen, we always get that little bit of bloating and pain because we have uh, increased in our inflammation pathway. Um, but and, definitely helping to calm that down would be by supporting the liver and making sure they're not having, like they don't have any underlying bacteria or a compromised gut. All right. And if the person doesn't have a gallbladder, mm -hmm. how does that affect how the liver works for that detoxification pathway, if at all? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, usually they'll need to supplement with lipase um, and have lower fat because the body won't be, have, their oh. body won't be able to um, handle a lot of fats. Okay. That's interesting. Cool. Would you say that person be supplementing with lipase long term, forever? Okay, always. Yeah. Okay. Because they don't have that organ to. So the gallbladder helps us to emulsify and break down fats, um, creates bile acids, uh, and probably also digestive enzymes as well for them. Um, okay. Because the gallbladder's predominant use is to, like, it helps to break down our foods ready for the liver to either, you know, excrete, um, metabolize and get rid of. And lower fat, how low would you go? Just tolerance. Because mm -hmm. if, if they're not able to, so if they have lipase and they feel okay, like how does the client feel when they have fats? Uh, okay. So kind of just gauge what the client feels like. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And um, like deep fried foods, of course, is usually out. Yeah. Um, no go. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Excellent. Thanks um, for the uh, questions, Raquel. Um, it's great to have you on the line. Awesome. There's a lot of really good ones there. Georgie, did you have any questions? Yeah, I did. Um, I just wanted to ask, so do you have any like main tips for optimizing gut health since it is such a big factor? Yeah, sure. So um, looking at the client's symptoms, um, if they get any bloating um, around certain foods that they're having, in particular carbohydrates. So if they have trouble digesting their carbohydrates, then sometimes that's a good signal that they might be having some sort of small intestinal bacterial overgrowth um, or they need to rotate their foods maybe a little bit more. 
definitely making sure that they're going to the toilet every day. So that's like a staple question. Um, and it's amazing how many clients come back with sometimes, most of the times, that they should really be going every single day. Um, and then the regularity of stools. So you don't want them to be too constipated. And then loose stools also is an indication of um, could be hormones or could be um, a parasite there. So just really assessing them on how their gut is functioning. Um, and uh, probiotic always a good staple one as well. So it helps to increase the beneficial bacteria. I always rotate my probiotics to make sure they get a good diversity. Um, and, and I guess, you know, if you did think that they have some bacteria there, then oregano oil is a really good one to supplement with. Um, and it's very safe as well. So Does that answer George. your question, George? I was just putting George back on. Yeah, that. that. Um, yeah, no, that, that does answer it. Um, no, that's that pretty much answers the question. Yeah, I was just wanted to know if there's any like foods you'd be promoting for them to go to to keep in their diet and um, yeah, and supplementation. So that that really helps. Um, you also mentioned leaky gut earlier. I was just wondering how you actually test the leaky gut and what the actual method of repairing that is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so leaky gut, you see um, an enzyme called zonulin increased in the gut test and you see a compromised um, secretory IgA, which is the coating on your gastrointestinal membrane and that contains a lot of antibodies that um, are needful to fight against pathogens um, and it can actually show up in your stool test if that integrity is compromised. Um, and it will show the increase in zonulin. So with the leaky gut, your tight junctions in your gut are separated and that allows for foods and proteins in your gut to go into your bloodstream and then vice versa. Uh, so very, um, it's an underlying cause for autoimmune disease. So yes, it, it does need to be treated. Um, so the first point of call is to address what is actually causing the leaky gut. So is it stress? Is it food intolerances or do they have any pathogenic bacteria so you first have to remove the harm and then um, replenish your gut with beneficial bacteria anti-inflammatory agents like licorice sleep uh, slippery elm aloe vera um, and zinc carnosine as well is very good too go ahead and unmute yourself George. yeah no that's awesome yeah that helps a lot thank you was there a follow-up, George, or is that all your questions for today? No, no, that's really good. I'll look into that a bit more as well. Thank you. Excellent, excellent. All right, last but not least, Nikki. Let's get you on the line. Nikki's got a question. Let's get Nikki on the line. Um, that'll be the final question for today's show. Oh, Nikki, sorry, there you are. All right, Nikki, go ahead. Shoot your question over. Okay, so a few questions. First, um, iron levels. So particularly for women during their periods and if they are a vegan or they don't, they have meat but aren't able to absorb the iron. So in, what are they, what can they do? Um, so why are they not absorbing the iron for starters? So do they have like thalassemia or an underlying uh, genetic disorder? Uh, not thalassemia. What's the the other one? Um, anemia. Anemia. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to help you absorb your iron, um, it's very good to have vitamin C and B vitamins. So B12, B6 and vitamin C all help you to absorb your iron. So if you have those supplements around the time that you're consuming your highest um, iron foods, such as red meat or even spinach, greens, um, that's very helpful. Um, and then making sure that there's, again, no underlying bacteria for them um, that's going to inhibit the absorption. Um, and then supplementing with iron that is uh, really easily absorbed too and is not uh, painful on their gut. So a lot of times clients get constipated from taking iron because um, they can't break it down. So um, there's different sources of iron that you can use that are uh, better digested. What kind of iron is that? that are better um, uh, it's called, let me just look it up. It's a... Uh, I just wanted to put on this though, make sure you're not, you know, people listening to this on, on the call, make sure you're just not like willingly taking iron. Yeah. Cause iron's not usually something that you need to supplement with unless you've had, you know, worked up results. So like Christine, who's advising you. So I just wanted to put that in there as a disclaimer, health disclaimer. If you're listening to this, iron usually is not something that you, you want to be taking willy nilly. You want to make sure you have proper bloods and you have a, have a practitioner like Christine who's looking after that and advising. Um, but we can put it in the show notes, Christine, just to keep this um, those podcast. Okay. Going. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. It's on the tip of my tongue because it's, um, it's like glyco something, but yeah, it's, it's a funny word. So yeah. What's the next question, Nikki? No worries. So, just on the iron as well. So if iron levels are okay, but then the hemoglobin is low, is there um, like can that be an issue, or how does if that the affect? Iron, if the iron is is fine, but the hemoglobin is low, it means that the iron is not being it's not being um, uptake through the red blood cells. So there'd still be a need. Yeah, okay. Um, and then adrenal health. So what kind of things support it? Adrenal health. So um, I guess first making sure, um, like, just the basic needs are made. So they're sleeping eight hours a night. Um, and it's a good uh, constant sleep, not waking through the night. And they're getting rid of all the other stressors. Um, in their life, so start with those basics as well. Um, and then adaptogenic herbs are probably the best way to treat adrenals um, as well as B vitamins as well because that feeds back to your energy cycle. And it's also the first thing that's um, depleted. So when someone's stressed, your B vitamins and magnesium are the first nutrients to go. You can go ahead and unmute you. Okay, thanks. Um, one more question. So I've got a client who is constantly bloating, like more so recently, not just around her um, period. And she's so when it's the period, uh, sorry, the 
floating's bad is she kind of like she gets that pregnant kind of look um and i do know that she has she used to get tonsillitis a lot so she used to be on antibiotics like she has it probably twice a year minimum like two cycles minimum per year so does that have anything to do with it or what could be the cause of a constant bloat? The correlation between streptococcus and sore throats. So you, it's called a strep throat and then you get streptococcus in your blood or in your gut as well. And um, the antibiotics that are supposed to treat, uh, treat the streptococcus, they basically wipe out all your beneficial bacteria in your gut. Um, so that causes issues with being able to digest certain carbohydrates and certain foods um, as well as leaves you more open for susceptibility to further pathogens and bacteria and the streptococcus might be there still as well which would cause the bloating so bacteria feeds off carbohydrates and sugar so if you find that your clients um, are getting bad skin or bloating when they're having carbohydrates a lot of times it's because there's actually bacteria there Okay, thanks. That's all from me. Does that answer your question, Nikki? Yeah, yeah. Probably a lot more to it, but more to, more than we can discuss. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I suppose just on that note, um, I just wanted to kind of put a, a disclaimer, I suppose, on this. A lot of the questions that you guys asked are quite specific. Um, well, well done for Christine for uh, fielding all of them in, in such an excellent way. Really great insights. Uh, and answers um, into all of these. But yeah, look, for a lot of the questions that you're asking, which is about specific clients, I would certainly encourage you guys to send them to Christine um, and get Christine to do, you work them up, do their bloods. And because it sounds like a lot of the questions that you're asking, and this isn't just for the folks on the call, but for the folks listening to this at home, it's like, you know, uh, it, things, you know, context versus content. And that's what Christine's very good at is is putting all of the elements in the right con context um, and, and lining them up because, you know, Christine might say use uh, oregano oil, but then uh, through someone's bloods, she finds another herb that she might use instead, which will give them a better result. So certainly this is why when we're talking at the start of the show around uh, clinical lab work that Christine does, there, there are no guesses. It's it's She, she makes decisions based on informed data. So if you are having any tricky clients or you don't know why things, the, the best thing I would advise is, you know, seek the health, uh, seek the advice of Christine, go do a consult with her, send your clients to a consult. Um, I suppose anything that you want to add on on that note, Christine? Uh, no, no, that's, um, yeah, like I don't, yeah, I'm very happy to help, but unless I have the full story, I can't ensure anything, of course. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So there were just a couple other questions that we might get to because we just got a little bit of time left. Uh, the first question was Millie. I used to have chronic period pain, and once I went on a low FODMAP for IBS, my period pain significantly reduced. So that was not so much a question. The question was I had blood test results saying that my lipase enzymes were low. What do you suggest for this digestive enzymes, and does that affect weight? It won't affect weight, it just will help you break down your foods better. And I suggest you do supplement with lipase if they were low, yes. 
And the other question from Raquel was, how do you take oregano oil? The taste is so strong. Well, you're not supposed to chew it. It should be in a capsule form. So you just swallow it. Um, probably no more than one to two at a time. And uh, yeah, just swallow it with water. Sometimes it does repeat, but I think the more you take it, the better it does get. Also, if I could add something on that, I've found personally that if you get poor quality oregano oil, then it will repeat on you. Uh, the designs for health oregano oil is very, very high quality and very, very good. And, and I don't think I've ever had that repeat on me. And I've taken like, you know, five at a time kind of stuff. Um, put, you can put it in the fridge, put it in the freezer, make sure you have it with food. There's some other tips to, to um, minimize the repeat on you. Uh, so, Christine, any any final thoughts or things you'd like to share with the folks at Wolfpack or... or uh... um, really, I'm happy to help if you guys want help and any questions that um, I didn't answer. If you wanted more information, you can definitely email me, um, christine at enterprisefitness.com.au. And, yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, and where should people connect with you? You're on Instagram? I'm on Instagram. I'm trying to get better with going on Instagram. Um, it's probably best to email me though because my social media is lacking. <laughs> if you do have a question, I always get back to emails. Um, but otherwise, I am on Instagram, Christina Tobri, and on Facebook, Christina Tobri as well. So, so uh, email is the best place if you want to work with Christine. Christine with a K, K R I T I. K-R-I-S-T-I-N-E at enterprisefitness.com.au. Uh, Christine is launching a, a new website very soon. It will be, oh, you want to give the details? Yeah, um, so I'm rebranding and launching a website. It's called Wellixa, W-E-L-L-I-X-A. Um, so targeted around females um, and female clients. So there will be uh, blogs, uh, podcasts, and um, a place to direct your clients if you do need any further help with them as well. Fantastic. All right. Well, thank you, Christine, for your time today. If the folks want to get in contact with you. They know where to go. Uh, it's been a great call. Thanks to all the Wolfpackers who have joined the line. Uh, yeah, so that's where it's at. Female health, a lot of great questions today. Hope you all guys all go get it. Thanks again to Christine for joining us. I know our listeners got a lot out of this. All right, guys, until next time we meet, train hard, eat well, and something smart. <laughs>